So what we have is the covenant concept of parents through the sacrament of the church claiming the promises of God. And then when their children are, are uh, trained and catechized and disciplined in the home and the upbringing and in the church and stand up and say, I am a believer, then it is God through the church saying, the promise is confirmed. Well, welcome to From the Classroom of Heidelberg Theological Seminary. I'm Dr. J.P. Mosley, Academic Dean and Registrar here at the seminary. And with me is Dr. Maynard Kerner, President of Heidelberg Theological Seminary. And we're going to continue our discussion today on the practice of confirmation uh, in, in the local church. And I want to begin by first reading from Romans 8, 28 through 30. Paul Uh, says this to the church in Rome, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined and be conformed conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. And part of the reason I wanted to read that particular passage is what we're going to be talking about is the fact that we have a God who makes a promise, like, for example, he's predestined some to be called. They're called, and the next chain in that link of the golden chain of salvation is justification and then glorification, which you and I definitely haven't been through yet. (laughs) But we can have this confidence in a God who says, let's say, get back to the subject matter from last time, baptism, covenant ceremony, initiating, whether it's a new believer or the child of a believer, maybe at the same time, like a family household. Um, So this, 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 this child, infant, not yet ready to say, I believe these things, Yet God still, through this sacrament of initiation, which is something that's been in the church since Abraham, yes, um, the sacrament of initiation has been. It's been, it's been changed, but um, God makes certain promises then. And it is then, it behooves the church to communicate to that child and remind that child of those promises so that as they reach a certain age, which when we when hopefully we can get to, you know, that, that subject today, um, they can then go through what we're going to talk about, continue to talk about, because the subject matter is the hybrid catechism. And now we're focusing on the practice of confirmation, particularly in the RSUS. Now, as we begin this discussion, we had mentioned last time that it would be it would be good for us to say, is this the historical practice of the church? Is this something that we can see the ancient church practicing, for example? Well, Calvin certainly speaks about confirmation practiced by the ancient church. Mm. Now, one of the things that we need to... Um, right away uh, probably uh, define would be that that 
term confirmation has by the broader church probably come to be some, identified with Roman Catholicism, uh, Roman Catholic practice, sure. and Lutheran, which is a sacrament. Lutheran is kind of a sacrament um, uh, approach. That's not what we're talking about. Okay. It's a completely different concept when we speak about confirmation in the Reformed Church. And so to be clear, uh, Rome, and they get this from Augustine, Rome had seven sacraments, two of which we have. Right. Now, the other sacraments that they have, the other five, such as penance, which we believe just simply means repentance. You're here to repent of your sins. You don't have to go to a, a priest in a closet and, and tell him everything you've, you've done. And, and then he tells you to go say so many Hail Marys and Our right. Fathers. Um, so that one's one that we, we recognize as a personal aspect. But the, the other four, confirmation, marriage, the priesthood, holy orders, and then last rites. Mm -hmm. and, last, and so what I find interesting is, is if people were to go to rcs.org and look at the resources and get the Constitution, uh, they would find in there that if you're a member in the RCS, you have rights as a member. And it just so happens to be those four things. You have the right to a Christian burial, which was a great licensure exam I heard one time for, for a minister. What must a Christian do in order to participate in the rite of a Christian burial? He has to die. Well, that was a little dark. Um, but And then a, 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 a man has the right to become a deacon or an elder or a minister if he has the qualifications and the calling for such. Um, a, a, a man and a woman, one man and one woman, have the right for, for marriage in, in the RCUS. And then our children growing up in the church have the right. And, and, um, and it's a different word for right, isn't it? It's, it's not R-I-G-H-T. It's R-I-T-E, right and so the church. My question then is, leading all the way up, what does that mean? Well, I immediately go to um, sort of picking up from what we, you've already stated, but I immediately go to, for example, Psalm 78, mm -hmm. in which parents or fathers particularly are required by God to make sure that their children and their children's children know about what God has done. Now, that brings us back then to the promises. When parents bring their covenant child for baptism and claim the promise of God, there are promises there. It's not the promise that this child will be saved and will go to heaven someday. It's the promise of the covenant, which is a, there's available to this child what God has made available through the covenant, salvation based in Christ, ultimately. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting that while we claim the promise of the covenant, then when you think about it, well, what does that mean? Well, it means that I now teach my child what that means. And therefore, when that child understands and it's effective in their lives, and it's under the discipline of the home and the church, there is now evidence in their life that this promise has become real for them. Mm. So then there is the need for them to stand before the church. It's not just we in America are so much about just me and the Lord, it's a personal thing, that right. they stand before the church before the elders, 
and say, I'm a believer and all that goes with that. Okay. Right. Now, and so the word confirmation now comes in there. So what we have is the covenant concept of parents through the, through the sacrament of the church claiming the promises of God. And then when their children are, are uh, trained and catechized and disciplined in the home and the upbringing and in the church and stand up and say, I am a believer, then it is God through the church saying the promise is confirmed. Confirmed. And this is something that we do see in the ancient church. And it, interestingly enough, and I don't think this is this is something that I'd like to do personally some, some research on and do some digging. There were what would, would appear to be officers in the church that were known as just uh, catechists. They, um, Cyril of Alexandria, for example, that's what he did. They taught catechumens. They taught brand new believers. They taught at a school and it was designed in Alexandria to make people ready for this event. And it was a, it, in other words, um, he wasn't the bishop, which at this time when he was there, the bishop was the pastor. He was the, he was the minister. Um, there were elders, there were deacons, but he had that category of teaching catechizer. The catechizer. I mean that that's what he that's what he was. Yeah. And and I, I've always found that interesting that the that in the ancient church they they readily recognized that there were other needs outside of minister, elder, deacon, um, that highly trained men and competent men were able to take up and serve the church in this way. Too many times I think we we put it all on one man to do, to get the job done. Yeah. When the ancient church shows us, Hey, no, no, no. There were, there were multiple people that actually handled these things. And I think, I think I read somewhere that even Tertullian kind of had a similar function because he wasn't a Bishop. He wasn't a minister either. And he had a similar um, function as well within the local church. Well, certainly we can, we can talk um, and discuss at length the method of practicing catechizing and confirmation and all that goes with it and that has changed historically it's it's going to be different in different parts of the church different cultures of the church uh and, and so initially what we want to make sure that we understand uh that um there is a role for the church in terms of the pre preparation of new members and of covenant children who have claimed the covenant promises, not only by their daily living under the oversight of their parents, Deuteronomy 6 sort of uh, concept, but there is a role of the church for the teaching of this rudiments of the faith, which we call the Heidelberg Catechism, the confession of faith, doctrines of the church, and, and what that means for life. I think that's the thing that we want to, first of all, uh, understand that this is what we're talking about. This is covenant. This is living out the covenant. We have such an emphasis in American Christianity today between, you know, that personal aspect. It's just between me and the Lord. And so I might move on then and also mention that having said that in a general way, 
in all of these practices in the church, there are always dangers of going one, relying on one aspected or, you know, the pendulum swing sort of thing. So when you do the confirmation and emphasize the instruction and the memorization and the, um, you know, you've completed the instruction, now you confirm, it can become a rote thing that's just practice. Mm -hmm. um, but on the other hand, if you just emphasize, well, uh, it's not really about what they've, what they've studied or memorized. It's what's really in their heart. And then it becomes just, well, I've decided now I'm a Christian. Isn't Christ happy with me? So you've got both of those sorts of dangers. Extremes. Extremes that can be there. And, and certainly within confirmation, we're not just talking about someone has passed the test of reciting so many catechisms or theology. We're talking about someone truly knowing what he's confessing in his heart that Christ is his Lord and Savior. And we can't help it when a person, child or adult, whoever, uh, we, we don't know if they're just going through the motions. Right. The, 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 ex, the extremes that can happen. Yeah. That danger's there in, in, or that no matter. Yeah. That's there in all kinds of activities. Right. And, and you can't overly try to stop that because then you're going to fail on something what, else. What's important to recognize, though, is as the Reformation was picking up a bunch of steam. And I, I would say, you know, you, you've got, as we talked about last time, all these various countries that are having reforming efforts going on. What's, in, what's interesting is as they went ad fontes, they went back to the sources. As they're, so they're all learning Hebrew, Greek. They've got their Latin down, but they're looking at the church fathers and they found things like uh, Cyril of, of Jerusalem's catechism for you know, new believers on the sacraments. They, they found Cyril of Alexandria being the catechist. And so what is beautiful is you, you have a period of time where there were still, there were still catechisms. There was still question and answers. There were still things like, you know, for example, Peter Lombard's sentences, there was the question raised and here was all of the different, you know, places that the church fathers had about this. Well, what the, what, what the Reformation did was it went back to an earlier model of smaller, concise question and answers. We came around last week about Calvin, or last time about Calvin's, uh, you know, paragraph question with one answer. But, you know, even, even um, Martin Bootser had one that it was very nice. I, I recall one of his... Uh, his catechisms would read like this. Um, are you a Christian? And the, and the kid was to say, yes, I am. And I, I, by the way, I don't recommend this particular series of question <laughs> right. and answers, but this is an example of a catechism. From back then. Are you a Christian? The answer was, yes, I am. How do you know you're a Christian? The answer was because I'm baptized in the church. See, that could lead in some of those extreme directions. Right. And see that that's where that's an interesting uh, point that you make there. Uh, I believe the Heidelberg Catechism deals with that in, in a way that is much more to the, to the reality. Mm -hmm. And that is when it asks in question 59, which I have come to believe over the years is probably the most important question and answer in the entire catechism. It's a short one. Yeah. Um, 60, of, of course, justification is very, very important. But Big Daddy one. question 59 follows having just gone through the, Apostles' Creed, which is the basic articles of faith. Mm -hmm. 
Right. And then it says, what does it help you now that you believe all this? It doesn't say, how do I know? Mark? Or, or the, the question you had asked, are you a Christian? But what does it help you now that you believe all this? Right. And the answer is, it's stunning when you think about it. And I really emphasize that when I do catechism. And that is that I am righteous in Christ. Think about what that means. Mm -hmm. And an heir of eternal life. Mm -hmm. That's answering the question, am I a Christian? Yes. But it's answering it in a, in a, in a, in a good different way. And so in recognizing the ancient church's practice with confirmation, the reformed church bringing back the catechism and confirmation because it had always been there. Mm -hmm. um, but then putting that emphasis back on memorizing a catechism, getting back into the theology, getting into what the Bible says, reading the Bible, Today, the RCUS continues to practice confirmation. And, you know, we have some people that would sit back and say, well, couldn't, couldn't our child just get up and make public profession of faith? Couldn't you well, just say, I love Jesus? Exactly. Is, is that not enough? Why, why go through memorizing a hymn, all these scripture passages, um, all these historical things, uh, the you know parts of the Belgian Confession, the Canons of Dort, uh, the, the points from the Canons of Dort. And, and then why all of these question answers in the Hyber Catechism? Is it not enough, like the thief on the cross, is it not enough just to get up there and make a public profession of faith? Sure, I'll meet with the elders, but isn't it, you know, that, that, that extreme again, is it not enough that I just say, I love Jesus or I, yeah, I believe these things. What, see, cause when I look at confirmation, all of that's already in there. So confirmation is that, and then something more. So to, to frame it in the way you just did, I'm going to use an example. Sure. And it's probably a, a over-the-top example, but hopefully you'll <coughs> Those are always think the about best. this. Yeah. Would you raise your children or your child with just enough food to keep them alive? Or would you want to raise them with good nourishment so they're better nourished and better healthy? And apply that now to the scriptures. Do you want to just say, isn't this enough? Yes, it's enough to say, I love Jesus. Don't you want to be able to serve Christ and know better what it means to be healthier in your understanding of the Christianity? That was, that's what we're talking about. Is, is, that a, is that a useful illustration? I think it's very useful, but I've also heard those that do the public profession of faith only have the same argument for why people need to read the Heidelberg Catechism. They don't argue for memorizing it. They would say, well, memorize it if you can. But this is why you need to study it is because now you have an answer to what you believe and why you believe it. And what I think is what I think is the addition that confirmation has with the public professional like, right. It, the addition is this is still something God's declaring. See what public profession of faith does, it's no different than the Baptist church. They at least have a sacrament attached to it. Right. You make public profession of faith then you're baptized. What what we're what we're pointing out here is this is God through his church, through his ordained servants in the church, declaring something about this young man or this young woman. That's different than that young man and young woman coming up 
and making a declaration about themselves. Now, they have to say, I do, and yes, I believe this. But through the minister, God is declaring something about them. Well, through the church, represented by the minister in his office. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, the, uh, Not anybody in the church can say that. No. That's why I said the minister. Right. I'd like to comment a bit further on the idea of memorization. Sure. Memorization is a learning tool. Yeah, yeah. There may be others. Two plus okay. two equals four. It's a learning tool. It's a learning tool. We have to memorize uh, it. To, to use a know. So if you're going to be a Christian, you need to know something. I think that's a part of, can I just say I love Jesus? Is my relationship with Christ simply an emotional? Or do I does it, does it contain some information, some basic knowledge about that? Yeah. And to, to use an illustration, maybe you can learn by just studying about what's in the catechism without having wrote, memorized it. But ultimately, ultimately, you don't know anything until you've memorized it. Your, your son is about to get a car and start driving on the street. He better not be driving. He hasn't memorized how to drive. Yeah, he doesn't have to memorize the manual for the car. That's right. But he's got to learn the rules for the road. Right. So we can go through different processes. And, and in confirmation, as practiced by the RCOS, it's not that that memorization is a requirement in order to serve, to be members in the church. It's part of the learning tool that we use as we get to that point. That's right. So I don't think we're going to be able to get to the, to the, uh, to the fun question of how old should one be when they start um, well, definitely they should be able to read, be able to have, um, be able to work on their own. Yeah, parents are supposed to be able to come alongside them, but there is a responsibility that young, that young man and that young woman need to exhibit in this because what are they doing? Fundamentally, they're making this faith their own. And so there, it needs to be an age where they're capable of doing that. They, they are now as full confessing member of the church. We speak of those that are confirmed as communicant members. That's right. They're communing with God's people as, as in their fellowship with God. And so that does mean that there is a sense in which they are, they, they may be in an age where they're still living at home and have to be respectful and, uh, and be trained and under the discipline of their parents. But there's a sense in which they are now owning for themselves what their parents claimed for them when they brought them for baptism. Right. So there, there, there's an argument there in terms of being able to do that. And I think, I think next time we can bring up maybe the practice here, sure. how old a person is when they start. Um, but I think it's also helpful to point out that if by the time they reach a certain age and they still don't have that, no, I, I do believe this. I don't think we ought to confirm that. No. And I think that'll be helpful for us to talk about next time. Yeah, there's some real implications. There is. And so we'll, 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 we'll get with this next time. And uh, for that, I want to thank you for listening to From the Classroom of Heidelberg Theological Seminary. And again, we'd love you to support this, uh, love that you would support the seminary uh, by going to heidelbergseminary.org and hit the support tab. Thank you for listening. <laughs>